Welcome to Dynamic Duos. I'm Tiffany Crivelli. Today's episode will explore comic writing through the lens of a seasoned comic creator, as well as someone who's just starting their journey into comic writing. We're happy to have Phil Jimenez and Scott Hoffman join us. Scott is known in the world of music as the co-founder of Scissor Sisters, but now he's made his comics debut with his series Nostalgia, drawn by Daniel Zizek and published by Comixology Originals. Scott isn't stopping there. This week, his new series WAG is launching with artist Juan Babillo. Scott has been working with mentor and comic icon Phil Jimenez. Phil is a well-known artist, having drawn countless comics and fan-favorite characters. More recently, he lent his talents to the DC Black Label book Wonder Woman Historia, written by Kelly Sue DeConnick. Sit back as these two talk about the industry, the process of writing, criticism, and so much more on this profound episode of Dynamic Duos. Hi, how are you? It's been so long. It's been, what, 10 minutes? minutes. (laughs) Since we texted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But I have to say, it's good to hear your voice and it's good to see you. Likewise. Uh, We we usually do the the visual once a week, but it doesn't always happen. No, so this is actually, it's a nice treat. Good. Um, Likewise. Yeah. uh, It's funny. I, you know, we agreed to do this and then I was thinking a lot about our chat in San Diego and how good that was, and how much I learned about you, which is funny. I've known you for a really, really long time, like I think 20-some-odd years, uh, and there was all this wonderful stuff. Kind of curious. I Actually, my mind's a, a swirl, like swirling with a bunch of um, things about music and comics and all this kind of stuff and horror movies and whatever, but something I actually wanted to talk to you about was the joy of writing, kind of like leaping right into it, because you and I were texting today and last night about how good it feels mm-hmm. um and i don't know why i just wanted to talk to you about that about like what that sensation i is i know me. i know why because we get excited by by writing and kind of like i guess that like that that uh rare i don't know if it's like rare for everyone but there is kind of like it's joyful it's fun but there's a lot of challenge in it and then there's that that moment of just like god i i really remember why i wanted to do this and i wanted to do it for a long time um, but it just kind of flashes in moments of just like, wow, I, I feel like I'm living with these characters or I feel like I'm doing something that is gonna, that is gonna, uh, make someone feel something, I guess. Uh, uh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Is that Actually, why we do it? I don't know why. I mean, is there just compulsion? I don't know. I think it's, I think it's all of it. Uh, I'm certainly compelled to do it. The thing I'm working on right now, like allows me to feel right. So I think a lot well, that's a lot of the conversations. Sorry, I was going to say that's a lot of the conversations we have. Is you talking about this project and saying I, I discovered something? I I, I hit this emotional uh, uh, moment that I didn't realize I was going to to approach or whatever, and that's yeah. super exciting. It's super exciting, and, and the stuff that I it makes me look back on a lot of the work that I've been doing, a lot of the work I've done over the past thirty some odd years, and my favorite stuff, um, which all had emotional resonance to me it all meant something to me but particularly uh i discovered something about myself and this sounds so cliche like in a in a you know like a call or podcast about writing but it's really true like yesterday i was right i was so excited to read our text exchange because you were talking about how joyful it was like this this work that you were doing and i was in the same zone Exactly. I was so happy. Yeah. Well, that's, that's part of why I wrote you because I remember you were having the same kinds of uh, the, the same moments uh, and and just like that 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 discovery or that like uh, that eureka moment with 
with like, oh, I've been hacking away at this thing. And then like, oh, I think I understand what it is now. Um, and I think what I'm excited about with you is that, so I've been, you know, we've been now doing this for, we've been working together in our little group for like three years. You're published. And I mean, um, and I could talk forever and I might about how amazing it was to watch you learn how to work in this medium. I've, I've never, ever, ever seen anyone do the work like you. I've told you that a million times. I've said it publicly. It's really astounding to see what you did and what you've accomplished. I appreciate that. But I know that there were trouble. Like, oh, it's a hundred, hundred percent. Like I talk about you all the time because I'm in awe of your dedication to learning the craft. Right. And we're so, and we're going to flip this, by the way, this time for me to also understand about you as a mentor, which we're not going to avoid as well. But because uh, because we didn't we didn't get there in San Diego. But go. But what, the thing that I wanted to just address. So to all you listening, Scott has just been an extraordinary student of the medium um, of uh, of how this crazy thing called comics works. And it's been awe-inspiring to see. I've never seen anyone do that the work like you did. But, you know, it was it was a hard trajectory. There was a lot of doubt, is my experience with you, as I think all newcomers are to work. Um, but what's really neat about, to me, about the exchanges that we've been having recently is the joy that you talk about. Um, because it's stripped of, of I think, the, the initial doubt that you had on this couple of years ago, where you're like, is this any good? And it, it felt like work and labor and whatever. And this just feels like you're having fun. And that makes me very happy. I am. I am. And I think like one, one thing that's maybe interesting about the dynamic for you, and maybe this is why you enjoy this, is that I'm doing it from a place of, of learning, of never having experienced, uh, a, uh, I shouldn't say never, like, like never having experienced writing in this style or comic writing at all, only just being a fan of the medium. But um, having done other things that I went through that discovery, like my music career, mm -hmm. and then moved on to a place where I kind of felt like, oh, I think I know what I'm doing now. I kind of like get it. Um, not that I felt that I had really, you know, gotten to a level that I could coast, but like I did get it. And then to be in this moment where it's completely new and there are new challenges and all the, new, all, excuse me, all the new fun stuff that comes with that. And you're not in that place. You're in a different place. You're in a very... Uh, I'm going to say esteemed place in what you do in the business. And you have a very clear idea of what you like doing, what you want to do, what your vision is, uh, what works for you, all those things. So it's been kind of, it's been nice for me. I think it, what you're seeing is, is someone discovering things for the first time that you haven't looked at for the first time in a long time. I, I, yes. A hundred percent. The interesting thing, I would be curious about your, feelings about this with music so i'm coming at this from like an esteemed place because i've been around for a long time but there were chunks of time the past 10 years i would say pre-wonder woman historia where i was just like what am i even doing in this business anymore the business had changed the leadership of the company i was so used to working for had changed the, the their their output needs had changed the way they worked was so different and I was lost for a long, long time. And I remember being a part of these conversations, by the way, which is interesting to see you on the other side of it. Because right? yeah. I was coming in as you're like, are you sure you want to do this? Because it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's crazy. Yeah. And also, uh, I, I felt, I don't know if I felt gaslit, but thinking like, maybe I'm just done. Maybe I just have nothing more to say. 
And then uh, I did Historia. It was incredibly well-received. I sort of found a new love for the medium. Leadership changed again. Uh, and I was suddenly able to do this sort of work that I was so good at that I had not been able to do for a long, long time. And my thought about that was, has continued to be like, you just need to survive, right? If you're working in one of these businesses, the leadership is going to be what it is, and it's going to come and go, and sometimes it'll last longer, sometimes it will not. And there's going to be corporate mergers and, you know, company shifts and editors are going to come and go. But if you survive and you hold on to that thing that you know that you're good at, or in my case, like there's a certain kind of story and a certain kind of character I work at, you'll eventually get the chance to do it again. I don't know if that's entirely true for everyone, but that's how I feel. And it feels invigorating, again, to sort of come almost full circle. And I was curious if that's, if you think of that as being true in, in music. Well, I mean, it felt like it felt like that in music in the same sense that we we kind of started probably in a sim, in a similar era. Although I, you started a little bit earlier because you were super young when you started your yeah. your comics career, and I was like well into my twenties, and you're a little bit older than me. But we we don't need to get too into that. But just a bit, just a couple like two years, right? A couple years, a couple years, something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no. We're the same age, basically. And um, yeah, so like when I was coming into the music industry and we, uh, you know, got a a deal with a major record label, which was Universal Records, it was Polydor, um, which was a part of Universal. And that turned that um, that that was a worldwide deal. So it was Universal Worldwide. So everyone we were really dealing with were were consistent people. There was a slight difference on the U.S. side, but we were really a U.K. based band all over Europe, all over, you know, the rest of the world, kind of dealing with this really known entity, these people that were there to support us. There was no change. There was no, you know, kind of like really major changing of the guard at all during that time we were there. And we got to have a consistent, uh, you know, consistent backing in what we were doing. So I did see that. And then I saw the music industry kind of turn into this. Oh, you can be a bedroom producer. You can be someone that puts out your own music. That was always a possibility, but it almost became the norm to kind of buck the system, uh, start your own label, do a licensing deal, do it your own way, put out your own streaming songs uh, the day that you make them. Do whatever, do whatever you kind of want to disrupt. So I did see it that way. I think it was probably some expectation coming into comics that maybe it hadn't had the same sort of uh, uh, implosion that music seemed to have had. Um, I, I was maybe naive to think that um, there are some, there are some still major players in publishing, but it sounds like there's a lot of change in the publishing industry as well. There is, this leads to like a weird, um, maybe not a segue, but I'm curious. It just struck me that the thing that hit both of our businesses like it hit the rest of the world. I'm not saying anything revelatory. It feels like the internet, right? So that is, I was just thinking about music, but allowed people to distribute music that they made at yeah. home is internet services, right? And like being online. And that's actually, I don't, I don't know if that, I don't know if it's actually changed publishing the same way, but I was, it makes me think about technology. This is a weird tangent, but it just, we, you and I talk a lot about technology and what it does for business, what it does for art, what it does for humanity. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. It's an empowering mechanism for people, and it's it's something that allows them to, for both better and worse, bypass the um, the systems that are in place. For the obvious, mm-hmm. I think the good reasons are obvious. The bad reasons are less obvious. And that um, 
some level of, of quality control, gatekeeping. Um, and it almost comes to something that I didn't want to talk about, but like that idea of mentorship, that you have people that are experts in the industry, um, which I think, you know, we, of course, live in a culture of, of you know, uh, cynicism about expertise. And I think, yes. you know, we both come from careers where we had people that were real experts, established people that told us how to survive in these industries and um, and did that with for at least me a lot of criticism and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, positive criticism you know kind of kind of uh, shaping shaping us and not not just uh, 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 telling us what we wanted to hear and and seeing us as a as a financial opportunity that that or, or even if we were a financial opportunity we were mu- a much better uh, uh, investment if we developed long careers that um, that we became professionals in. Yes. My, um, I talk about this a lot. I, I have been blessed over, uh, particularly my, in my teens and twenties with really incredible mentors. I think about this in many ways, most of them were men, um, but they, but they uh, nurtured in me and they saw in me ambition because I was a highly ambitious kid for a variety of reasons and they worked with me, but they were also really hard on me, which I appreciate in hindsight, because I also knew that, that the, they're, they were hard because they knew, um, uh, because they cared, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's that, there's that hilarious, um, like semi-famous, uh, you know, meme of Tyra Banks yelling on America's Next Top Model to that, that one girl, like, um, we only yell at you like this if we love you, if we believe in you. And that mm-hmm. those are the sorts of mentors I had. Like, even though it's a funny clip that the idea resonates because my mentors were freaking hard and I... Right, and they wouldn't have bothered um, if they hadn't seen something in they, you. Yes, yeah. yes. And that's that's a, that's a 100%. They wouldn't have bothered. And I know other people for whom they did not bother. But they worked with me and they're like, if you just do these things you can get work, you can, you can get what you want, but you have to put your ego aside. You have to, you know, listen, if you're angry at me, great, be be done by the weekend and then get back to the work. Because once you do that work, then we can move you ahead. And I, I just, I am, I am, I believe in mentorship because I had great mentors. And I, that that, that was, that was one of the big questions I had for you on my on my little list of notes. But like, I think it's important because you were a mentor to me, and there must have been some genesis, right? Like, what's your origin story of of you having the same experience? There must be, right? Like, of you having these people in your life that were pushing you, and also really interesting to me, following you in your teaching career and um, hearing about some of the experiences you have now, where. Um, you know, maybe in a, you know, uh, it's your story to tell, but kind of the idea that, um, criticism is, is a sensitive topic, you know, in, in teaching for, for a lot of reasons. Um, it's God. And so that's really, really fascinating. So yeah, my secret origin, again, as I just stated was probably from high school on, but even before that, I think because I was a, a dedicated, I was, I was constantly drawing. I was always working at craft, but I, I'm I'm slowing down because there were I was thinking about the reasons for that, right? It wasn't just out of love of drawing, although that was a huge part of it. And it was certainly out of love of storytelling. But at some point when I realized I was gay, I I came to understand that the one skill set that I had was this ability to draw narrative, to draw stories and pictures. And so I nurtured that because I believed it would take me from where I was 
to someplace else, right? Like this was the one, this was my out. I think a lot of people can relate. A lot of people can relate to that sort of escape, the escape fantasy based on, on working hard, finding what you can do and that being your ticket, your ticket onto, right. to, to escape. Although I do want, I mean, and this is a, this is a whole interesting segue, but I do wonder now in like 2023, how much of a motivation that is. I mean, I certainly think it is for many people for many reasons. Um, for me, like in the eighties, it was, a. am just thinking, contextualizing the time period. And I was living, you know, I grew up in Southern California, but I went to high school in Orange County, which is a hyper conservative um, uh, region. And I just knowing that I could not stay there, right? If I didn't right. do something to get out, I couldn't, um, I would metaphorically die where I was. So, so what was what I think what was interesting when I think about mentorship is that I had this drive from this sort of internal struggle that manifested in constant work. Like I had a, an amazing work ethic when I was young. And then my mentor seeing that in me and being like, wow, this kid's serious and then helping me along. Um, and again, they were everything from high school teachers and um, after school mentors to, I remember, oh, God, I wish I could remember his last name, I've been looking for him for so long. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I had gone to a, a summer program at Otis Parsons in LA, and there was this, this teacher, an illustration, an illustrator, who like sort of whispered in my ear, like, this is what you need to do, and this is where you need to go. And I think about him all the time. My, the head of my department at SVA, uh, Neil Posner, the man at Harvey DC Comics, again, incredible incredible men who took care of me <laughs> and gave me um gave me space and taught me lessons um they were not easy on me and i would have i wouldn't have it any other way but when i started teaching i think the the way one of the ways i thank them was imparting on my students the lessons they taught me right so i teach very much the way i was taught uh and what's really interesting right now is as you mentioned is that in in the past several years, education, particularly higher art school education, has become uh, an interesting minefield of how to encourage and nurture students' artistic tendencies, um, desires, dreams, stories, but still enforce um, kind of practical skill sets that I actually think are useful in the real world, right? Like critique is a real battlefield right now because uh, of these questions about, is there, about uh, honestly subjective truth. Like I can say something's good, someone can say it's bad and who is right in the argument. And then and that goes back to our discussion about expertise generally, right? Like- Right, um, and then maybe they can pull, maybe they can pull away, sorry, to, to the internet and put their work online and say, look, my teacher said what I'm doing isn't great, but don't you all think I'm great? And everyone says, oh, you're great. And you can go find the answers where you want instead of that sort of sing singular voice that maybe you really trust and sometimes hate that you trust and that is telling you, <laughs> telling you the truth, right? Yes, yes. But it's, I, 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 it is my experience currently that, uh, so I grew up on critique, um, both uh, in art school, when I was working at DC Comics and in the talent development group. I love it. I love exchange because I actually, I believe in critique as a teaching mechanism, especially when someone can identify a problem, but more importantly, identify a solution or offer mm -hmm. a solution, right? Because 
when when critique comes from a place of like, oh, this is amazing. I think it could be better if, right? Like, can you imagine if uh, if you did this, it would make this a thousand times more interesting, right? Like, I just, I love that exchange because I always love anything but, that will elevate work. But sometimes the answer is this, this leaves me dead inside. This is, this is not your best or something like that. And I think uh, maybe that's what is a challenge to deliver sometimes. And, and you've been tough with me before. And I'm really glad you've been tough with me before because I don't I don't think there's a there's a more poetic way to say that sometimes. You never told me it makes you feel dead inside, you know what I'm saying? But like but you you'll say I, I don't I don't I'm not feeling this. I just don't get it. I don't I, it doesn't it it's not speaking to me or it doesn't it's not doing the things it needs to do. And that that depending on your level of of, of sensitivity, which if you're a creator, you're a sensitive person, probably you're already on that side of the scale, um it can it can be really hurtful, even, you know, and it, it probably is never meant to be. But the thing, uh, if I can chime in with your work, so the one thing I will say about your work consistently from day one, um, <clears throat> and especially, so you were an incredibly prolific writer in like our first year of, of our group, and you generated so many ideas, one of which, as you know, is still one of my favorites because I felt so much while I read it. So your So your work was never bereft of emotion as a matter of fact your early work was actually full of melancholy i would argue and which is interesting considering that we, you know we st um for those listening we um scott and i um formed a writing group like right at the beginning of covid and it was a, a way for us to connect as friends it was also a way to use that time as many people did to try to generate work that we might not have had opportunity to do so um before. and don't and don't leave out actually the fact that I had expressed interest in writing and it was your way of pushing me into starting completely. Yes. Um, yes. You know, not, not but just I, be prolific, but I, I didn't even know what to do. So you, you kind of brought me in to say, what, you're just going to write something down and, and we'll talk about it and you're just going to try it and see what happens right. anyway. And, yeah. But, but, but the thing that, but, but going back to like the, the feeling dead inside joke, right. So I have actually had students for, and I will say, semi-joking like this is the worst thing i've ever seen tell me why it's so bad right because because i think using senses of humor disarms and also addressing the elephant in the room like this is terrible we know it's terrible you're not terrible your artwork's usually great but this isn't working let's make it work let's find out why it's not working right that's that's a, a favorite thing but with you what was so what i love about your work because i tend to respond as you well know to sort of emotional tenor more than anything else um and that's probably changed over the years but like i want to feel something when i walked away um and i will take messy and emotional often and by messy i mean sort of maybe structural issues or whatever over something that is sort of structure something that's incredibly structurally tight but, but feels almost mechanical in execution and your work is that perfect sweet spot like by the time you were on your second or third project as you were figuring out um, again how the how the medium worked, there was emotional resonance on every page. I could feel you in the page, which I love, and I could feel emotion reading that work. But and then as you figured out structure and plot, like you figured out subplots and things like that, then it all came together. And what I still say that was so astounding is how quickly that happened. Like you were someone that just needed to literally do the work. You, you, and you were studying. You were reading, a, a, you know, a dozen different books, and you were, you were, you were absorbing information at a rate I've just not seen before. 
but also like in doing the work, I've never seen like you just got so you got exponentially better. Like every project just made more and more sense. The one thing I do remember is uh-uh. uh, no, 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 because <laughs> I, I I think about this a lot. Was um, the trick with you? I remember was movement, right? Like physical characters moving, like getting them because there was all this emotional resonance, there was thematic power, but it was sort of like, what are we looking at? So like on the third chapter or something, and it was fun and sort of funny trying to encourage you to think about set pieces. Like, let's get get some action in here. Let's get something collapsing. Let's get something moving. and once, but again, once you figured that out, you started to have fun with it and you got it. You know, what's interesting about that. I think about uh, performance. I think about, uh, you know, as a band, we would have a song and we'd tell our manager, this is the best thing we've ever written. This is going to be a hit. And he's like, okay, go play it. And we played in a show and no one would react. And, and he <laughs> wow. knew, he knew. And he didn't, he didn't even need to, he didn't even need to tell us whether it was good or bad. He's like, well, you know, you're not going to decide that this is a hit. There are other people are going to decide whether this is a hit, whether it works. You're going to get the reaction. And the group is the way to sort of get that reaction, right? And I think what I saw is the more that, um, you pushed me to, to incorporate movement, plot, uh, you know, structure, all these things, you know, reading books about structure, understanding why our brains connect to structure in the way that they do, suddenly seeing a reaction and being like, if my goal here is to elicit emotion, if my goal here is to make people feel something, you know, uh, the death of a character can be just as good as some uh, monologue I wrote, you know, or, or some, some, like you said, giant set piece, uh, uh, coming onto the scene being like, whoa, this is overwhelming. This is interesting. Like, like it, it adds to the experience and then you see it working, right? You see it with the people you're around. Fortunately, if you have that experience, I mean, I, I think that's the only real way to, to judge your own work um, mm-hmm. and, is and the, through other people's eyes. A hundred percent. Oh my gosh. It's, um, I know a lot of creators, a lot of my peers are like, you, you know, they, we've talked about this about this sort of idea that you have to write for yourself primarily. And I think that's sure. a very popular idea. I think that my Stephen King, I don't quote me, but I even think he talks about that a little bit, but I tend to write for a small group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't just write for me clearly. Like if I'm having fun, I'm really happy, but that gets to be a little masturbatory. I really like if I can show my work to like about 10 or 12 people, pardon me, like fellow, sometimes fellow creators, sometimes just fans, uh, sometimes academics who I know and trust and who know me, know my work and know what I'm trying to get at. And if they think it's a success or failure, I I know, I believe it, right? Like if, right. They, if they love it or they're like, girl, what happened to this thing? Both those reactions, <laughs> I think, are so, so important. You have so to take I, them into account. You can fight it. You can um, you can have an argument, but uh, it doesn't change the reality of what that work is, and it isn't going to change right. other people's reactions. You're not, you know, as they used to tell me in school, like you're not there. You know, I was in the creative writing program at in, at Columbia, and I'm sure you're used to this, but you would have uh, workshops where you're not allowed to speak, and you've got the uh, you've got the whole class talking about your work, and you they've gone completely off on a tangent. They don't get what you're doing. And you want to just jump in and say, no, but I was trying to do this. And they're like, well, you're not going to be there when they buy the book off the shelf. You're not going to be there to do that. You have to put 
everything you want to put into that work into the work you are you are not its advocate once it leaves your hands and i think like that's really important and and it's the small group that is that is i think the way because maybe one of the problems we have i mean this is like a a a a bigger a, a bigger topic that we don't really need to get too into but like we live in a we live in a current culture that looks at a very broad swath of of reaction to to um, know which direction to go, and I'm not right. I hope that a lot of people really get what I'm doing, but I can only target the kinds of people that I think would understand this work first. And if it mm-hmm. if it goes beyond that, then it's fine. I um, I don't have mainstream taste. I don't. Um, I'm not necessarily a superhero guy. You know, I mean, you know this. I feel like I'm a, almost a a faker in this industry because I didn't follow superhero comics in the, in the way that I did, but I love the medium and I love what it can do. So, um, you know, we've almost forgotten, I think maybe as a culture that there is such thing as niche work. There's a such thing as, as mm-hmm. underground work. There's a such, such a thing as work that can be, that may be discovered 10 years, 20 years after you write it. And that's, that's okay too. I respect that kind of work. I look at that kind of work. How many discussions do we have in our group about this movie that was a complete flop in the eighties. And then suddenly, you know, it, 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 it got a cult following 30 years later, it was marketed wrong and it actually was a masterpiece or all these things. And I think we're so stuck in this moment of what is the criticism going to be? What are that? What is the, you know, what is everyone around us going to say? What is the person who, rejects your pitch at a publisher um, mean in the scheme of things. All those things are so hard to, uh, to kind of tally up. But I think that idea that I'm going to like, hold on to this, like you're writing for you, but you're also writing for a group of people that you respect. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe that's what it is. I, I think so. hundred percent. It's uh, the other, uh, there's a million ideas that I'm awash in now. Um, one is the notion of, uh, niche and, and and discovery and rediscovery because the other thing the counter to that of course is stuff that you see at a certain age or read at a certain age you're like this is the best thing ever and then you revisit it and you realize it's not yeah, um, yeah. although I do take I do take a certain amount of pride in that most of the things I present from a period of time I can still hold like I, I can still defend them but uh, or we can find that thing within those works that were like this is why the rest of it you know maybe the acting was bad in this movie maybe the script had some problems but it its ambition was was there it does this thing that i still think works even 20 years later and that's the other um oh you said something else that really uh struck i'll I'll come back to it but it was oh i know this is a, a funny sidebar but i do think it's really it's interesting the way we all tackle and think about genre so I love superheroes. I got. I, I came to realize a couple of years ago, and I think this was a big problem in my period of time when DC Comics was changing, new leadership had moved to Los Angeles, the new 52 came in, everything I'd ever worked on had been wiped from canon, and so nothing I did technically mattered in this new publishing phase. And that was a, And it was a strange emotional cutoff. It wasn't even like I sat weeping in my face. I was just like, oh, okay, I'm that's done. Like, I just don't have any connection to this anymore. I could, I could be wrong about this too, but it almost like just thinking about myself in that situation, maybe there, it almost felt like a generational thing too. It's like, Oh, this is being, this is being given to a new generation of, of creators. And maybe I'm not as relevant in this new format, which turned out to not be true for you. But I wonder if that was the, 
the I, no, no, part of I, the thinking. I, I think it's part of it. I mean, there was other emotional stuff. But my mother had died, and then my my coworker Andy, who my inker who'd been working with me yeah. for a decade, he moved on. So it was just a big shift all in the same year. So it's just like okay, I'm done. But the um, and it's uh, I bring I I don't know why I'm bringing that up except for the the point that I wanted to return to was this, this thought about superheroes. Oh, I know. So um, coming coming back and doing Wonder Woman story, working the project I'm right now, I realized that in the search for what uh, the sort of work I was to do, and I drew Transformers for a little while, which was great, and a bunch of some indie stuff, which was fun, but the thing that got me into comics was superheroes. I really loved the sort of fantastical elements of that, of the scale of superhero stories. I loved the soap opera of, of superhero stories. I, I really got into comics very specifically, not to draw comics, but to draw superheroes and Wonder Woman in general. This, this, was, I, uh, this was on my list very specifically, and I'm going to tell you yeah. why, but, but keep going with this. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things I... I'd like to address with others, particularly, you know, I just, I did this teaching program at California College of the Arts during the summer, and none of my students were superhero people, which I love, 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 love. But I still think of many of their characters as superheroic or, or super characters, right? Like, so I tend to think, uh, I have a fairly broad idea of what a superhero is. Um, so in my head, Sherlock Holmes is a superhero. Indiana Jones is a superhero. Like any sort of character, no matter how human, if they're doing these really extraordinary things, I tend to find superheroic, right? Like if you are going after an ancient art that literally holds like the, you know, the sort of power of some biblical um, um, apocalypse, there's something superheroic about that. I remember talking to someone about Sandman, and while Sandman is super elevated, that that group is still like a superhero team essentially sure, they they're sure. like brothers and sisters they have code the family have superpowers it's a family and so i i tend to i tend to think more broadly about genre in many ways i think than than others and so what's really fun is it's teaching with and working with people who don't work in superheroes i learn from them all the time about new different ways to think about story but even in like the indie stuff where there's supernatural elements to bring over and be like, hey, I worked on a story like this in Wonder Woman, and here's some lessons that you can learn from that that I learned. I, re I really love the possibility of cross-pollination without barrier, right? So you, we talked about this a lot, and then I'll shut up. Um, yeah. <laughs> about, how, about how, like, in... I really believe that if we're writing a horror book, we can learn a ton from... Uh, like a soapy 19th century drama, because it's all still story, right? There's right, still structure, right. there's still highs and lows. Or if you're writing for a 19th century drama, you can learn a ton from Nightmare on Elm Street, right? Like I, people have these- I would, I would actually argue that you should avoid learning from the same things that you're doing in the same genre that you're a doing. A hundred, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. I'm just as someone who, as you know, I am. I love hearing, and I'm using the word story quite broadly. But but these are anecdotes. These are epics. Whatever they are, um, I love. I love them across so many genres. Um, uh, and I and I'm always troubled by seeing partitions where people are like, "Oh, this is this kind of thing. This is this mm -hmm. kind of thing. This is this kind of thing." Clearly, taste and aesthetic and 
tone and all that stuff comes into play and I don't mean to, but like uh, generally, uh, and I clearly have my own limits as well, but I really love it when creators specifically are pulling from all sorts of things, um, a TV show that they saw and a, a reality competition show and a really amazing, you know, super emotional Oscar movie. And then this action adventure, show, like if, like, I think there's lessons to be learned from all of it. And, yeah, uh, and I think we're both people who we're both people who dig, right? I mean, we love digging yes. into the kind of like you know un, under the surface, off off to the side, you know, in the in the bargain bin, whatever, wherever that stuff is. Um, and I think it's so rich, and I, I just do wonder sometimes why. I mean, nothing against Marvel movies, but why do people look at those as the sole inspiration for what they're doing? There's so much more out there, and those things only came from from more underground ideas. And, and, you know, I think if you're part of the evolution of all this, right, like it's almost your duty to, um, to dig further. That's, that's, that's my, that's my theory about it. It's a, it's a duty. I would, I would like to say that actually, I think one of the most exciting things about you is what a digger you are. Like I, I was telling someone recently, cause I talk about you a lot, like you're fun to name drop, but I talk about, <laughs> the things that I have learned from you over the past three years, and it's really a way of thinking. It's just a way of being open and less reactionary to certain things. But the, what you present to our writing group or just what we exchanged in text or even ideas, you know, when we were zooming or in person, you're, you're pulling from so many sources and you're like, I read this and I saw this and here's this interesting um, thing. And I, I talk about, you know, as we talked about um, at San Diego Comic-Con, like you introduced me to uh, this world, like this larger art world that I had no idea existed. You pull constantly. It's, it's, I think there are huge lessons to be learned from you about that. But hopefully not, right. Hopefully not a lot of other people learning the same lessons because it's fun to have a world where not a lot of people care about these things and you're the only one that's caring about it. But yet, right. You know, it's like the, it, it lowers the competition as far as I'm concerned. And there's no competition commercially for me. And I'm only an upstart writer and all these things. But in terms of me making a name for myself and carving out a, a niche, I'm very excited that I, I'm presenting uh, my, t- I, I, I just like, I, I'm at a certain age where I do feel like I have an aesthetic. I have, I have what I love. I have what I love to do. And that's what I offer. I don't offer a superhero action piece. But, you know, if you're feeling moody, like, sure, open up my book and, you know, maybe you'll, uh, we'll cry together or something. Your books are absolutely a product of you, which I love. Obsessed, obsessed, obsessed. Fortunately, I can't, uh, I, I can't do it any other way. So maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. I've tried. But also just, just fitting back, the thing that I think is really important, um, is that you're a curious person, and I think that's that's a like if that is a vital quality to have if you're a creative person. Well, I and I'm I'm actually going to bring it around on that note, and I appreciate that. I'm going to bring it to to a note that I had, which was talking about origin stories, but also um, influence and the kind of person we are. I did happen to be that person who was a creative person. I had those mentors that were pushing me on, but I was, I was playing music. I was a big reader. I loved, you know, I love music, you know, like, uh, I love listening to music. I loved, uh, comic books. I love all this stuff. Love movies, love weird underground movies, love anime, all like the whole, the whole, you know, the gamut, Mm -hmm. but I did not know where I wanted to be, or I wanted to be in all those places. It's so interesting to me that you are keeping a fire alive for a passion that you were completely, laser focused on from an early age. 
And as you said, it wasn't just superhero comics. It was Wonder Woman. That was your goal. That was the end-all be-all. And you accomplished it at a very young age. And here you are with your first Eisner from a Wonder Woman book, which is incredible to me. Um, and But what is, what is that like? Like, has your... Have your interests fluctuated? Have you? I, I feel like I've never known of a moment of you ever saying like, "Oh, I was just done with Wonder Woman." I felt like I had like seen everything there was to see. It's like this is the center of you. You've done a million amazing books, like you know, amongst doing Wonder Woman. That hasn't been your whole life, but to you, maybe that's the center, and it's remained the center. I uh, yes. Um, Has it? Like, have you needed? I guess maybe the question attached to that is: Have you need? Did you need to push? to find something else that needed you needed to center in. I left the whole industry. I was just like, I'm fed up with this. I want to challenge myself. I want to do something new. You're, I know you're writing a book that you can't talk about right now, but like you are, I don't think you can, but like you're challenging yourself in the same superhero world again and loving it and, and eating it up. So, you know, I, I admire that. I couldn't do that in music without walking away. It's, it's God, there's a, it's so funny that you say that. I uh, this opportunity arose. Um, it's something that's been on my mind, and I had a support system that I had not had in many years saying yes. I um, we want to help you make this thing. Uh, I think Historia helped immensely, um, and I'm just reminded how good I am at that. The thing I wanted to say about Wonder Woman very quickly, uh, and this gets slightly academic, but of course, like you know, it's a little you know, gay kid at four, I see Linda Carter spinning, she becomes Wonder Woman. I'm clearly attracted to that imagery, that iconography. I loved that iteration of that character. I can talk about the episodes that made me love that character. Um, I, I'm just hurt, just the timing of her presence in my life. Also, she was a character on the Super Friends. So I've, I've loved that character since probably for uh, 48, 49 of my years. The thing about digging in that character is I, I really come to realize what I love about that character, and it t- tackles two things I'm inherently interested in sociopolitically, and one is sex and gender, and one is war. And I won't get into it too mm. much, except for that Wonder Woman at her best, when I was exploring her, my favorite runs of her, even the 1940s stuff, the two things they explore, that character talks about and explores are sex, sexuality, gender expression, like, you know, literally... Uh, what is feminism, right? Like, what, what does mm-hmm. it mean to be feminist? What does it mean, like, what does sex mean? And, you know, all all that sort of stuff is packed into that. Women's culture. roles, like, women's roles as superheroes, as superheroes that have right. maybe been secondary to the male superheroes. I don't know. There's, um, right. It sounds like it's, it's rich, right? It's, it's all rich and it's all there. And then um, the other thing, of course, which gets tackled less because it's less sexy, is war, right? So... I've written papers about this. I've been published about, you know, about is war a feminist ideal? Is war a, a queer ideal, right? So if Wonder Woman is kind of the ultimate feminist queer icon, the reason I think I love her, and maybe even back when I was young, is that at her best, she tackles things that I think I personally personally resonate with me as sort of a, as a queer kid uh, as a, you know, I'd like to believe I'm a feminist person, but also as a sort of a human person in a world that is ravaged by this thing um, called war. And what does that mean? Right. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm interested. And then you come, then you come out with Historia, which I don't know if that was a lot of the conversation with you and Kelly Sue, but like this, this incredibly feminist story that, you know, you, you've, you 
talked about your connection to the to the to the um, you know gender and feminism ideals right. in that book, but also a violent book. A very violent. And Kelly Sue and I had lots of conversations about it. And I remember going to at least two female professors at NYU to talk about the material, and particularly talk about war and feminism, right? Because the the sex and gender and stuff and feminism. There's plenty of a conversation about that, but it was this other thing that I was so interested in. So I'm going to wrap that up, but simply to say that I think the thing that continues to resonate with me with that character, and the reason I love working with that character in that world is because those are issues that I think about regular, just on a daily basis. And what Wonder Woman allows me to do is explore them creatively, visually. Like, it's kind of just this weird, perfect marriage of... of uh, I have this, I have this creative skill, a need for outlet. Uh, it happens also to be a, a, a real life job that I can have um, with a with an iconic character that I you know is now forever going to be emblazoned on my tombstone, which is pretty exciting too. Mm-hmm. I have to say. That's and I would really what's nice. say what's so fascinating. I will I won't uh, harp too much on this either. But uh, you know, we talk about the life of stories, which I'm super interested in. Um, you know, discovering things years later, and you talk about even a book like this that. You know, you want an Eisner for it was a well-respected book. It probably sold consistently. I'm sure you were happy with that. But then, then James Gunn discovers it and says, "This is this is an incredible work." I, I, you know, I can't believe how amazing this is. Wants to probably tie it into his to his whole world of things, and it's just like, oh, that's that's what a book that resonates with you. And I think about like going back to you and Kelly Sue probably having these, you know, uh, FaceTime conversations and just talking about an idea, talking about something that resonates with you personally. And then it kind of standing the test of time. I know it hasn't been a ton of time, but you know, after when did it come out a year ago, over, over a year ago? Over, yeah. About a year and a half ago. Right. So, and then suddenly it just has, you know, it, what it pushed it to number one on Amazon, you know, not to toot your horn too much here, but I'll toot your horn. It's like, yeah, like, like all of a sudden something that resonates continues to resonate and it's no surprise, right? right? It's, it wasn't, it wasn't a marketing idea. Like your, your Wonder Woman wasn't a, wasn't a marketing exercise. It was, it was, it was issues that you both wanted to, to address, which I think is really inspiring for me as, as a writer as well, because I'm always just wanting to pluck from the world. That's all, that's all I'm doing. I'm thinking about things and thinking about how they get put on the page or put in story or what maybe I can, what small thing I can add to that conversation. Right. I think about that. I think about that specifically with your work all the time, uh, because as I mentioned before, and, and um, you are so hyper cognizant of, of the world around us and particularly, you know, issues of, uh, sort of technology and transformation, but um, the, the the conversations that we've had, just about humanity, right? Um, I there there are two or three that resonate particularly, uh, and to see that sort of manifested in your work is is thrilling, um, because your point of view is thrilling to me, right? So I am really really excited about sort of the new work and particularly the work that you're doing that kind of, I was going to say F's with form, right. That sort of plays with the form of the, of the medium itself and then interjected with your worldview. I'm thrilled out of my mind for that stuff. Um, 
Yeah. No, so, sorry, I would, I would say that part of that is selfish, right? Part of that is to keep myself entertained because sometimes I get bored with the process, but there's nothing wrong with that, right? I, stuff that, that excites me is hopefully going to excite at least one other person, right? But also yes. the idea that, that form, which you've taught me a lot about form and I continue to play with form, form is also part of the language that we use to tell a story, right? So, so you know, we, we assume, I think change is the constant in the world that we live in, the creative world that we live in, but we assume there's some kind of format that, that is, you know, uh, unimpeachable, right? But really, what we're looking at is a form that, that didn't exist 100 years ago, at least nowhere close to what we're looking at now. And why shouldn't we continue to to play with it, right? So maybe again, it's like a matter of duty to the to the to the uh, medium to just keep playing and seeing well, what which it can I do. I love because because my instinct is not to play with form. If anything, it is to um, double down on this. It's sort of most classic elements. Partially because that's that's fun for me, right? I like working in this. But that, genre. but that to me is subversive too. In a world that maybe a lot of people are are doubting the importance of of form as well. I, I, yes, I agree. The stuff that I'm doing right now, I'm like, people haven't seen this sort of comic work in a long, long time. And it's clearly modeled on the stuff that influenced me, but I'm like, this is good. <laughs> and I don't mean that, but I'm like, looking like there was a time when this was normal. And right. What's right. Interesting, right. What, we both, we both approach things with a certain amount of nostalgia, right? I mean, that's what we do. Yes. We look at a certain time that affected us. It may feel old fashioned, but to a lot of the world, the things we are feeling nostalgic about are completely new because they haven't they haven't seen it. That to me is exciting. And I would go back to our sense of taste, right? So that the I would argue, uh, and maybe maybe I'm not free of my nostalgia, though, that you and I, the stuff that we are looking at, we look at it with a very with a with an aesthetic. Like it's not just like oh, this makes us feel good. It was succeeding in its way. Right, the stuff that we like, yeah. that, that we that we use as inspiration, worked, uh, and works now. Right, like even uh, and so we're basically just doing the updated version of that stuff because it it was it never it it was it was successful then. It's successful now, like uh, like as as an object as a work, it might feel a little old fashioned based on what's coming out around it, but that doesn't make it any less successful. Um, right as yeah. And then what we are here to do is, I mean, Historia may feel like an old fashioned book for you in terms of the form and the, and the, the sort of, uh, I don't know, there's a, there's a maybe a, a sort of like a, a conservatism maybe about the, the way you approach panels and, and uh, storytelling. I, I mean, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong about that, but it also feels fresh and it also feels fresh because you're bringing a, a an update to your style in that book. You're bringing a real like, ornateness to the style that we don't see a lot right right now right. as well so like there's all there's a, it's a mix of all things you created a new book you didn't you didn't create an, an homage just an homage to something old and kelly sue's no, voice I'll, too she's a new voice right she yeah. i always say that none of that book would have existed without her like every line i drew was sort of a dedication dedication to what she inspired in me with that script that she wrote, which was just bonkers, like in our conversations and so much of it was, was about her. And yes, yeah, yeah, I actually think that while the, the form, I was using very sort of traditional storytelling in terms of visual narrative and panel panel stuff, I think the surface aesthetic was elevated in a way a lot of people I don't think had seen. And part of that was just me needing to prove myself, like again, after my 
weird several years of what am I doing and these up and down successes, I had this opportunity to come in and, um, yeah, it was, I well, you brought, you brought up another theory. You brought up another theory of, of, of art in general, which is maybe we're all just trying to prove ourselves, right? There's never a moment that I think from, I, I shouldn't say for, I shouldn't speak for anyone else. There's never been a moment in my life where I felt like, Oh, I proved it. It's done. And I've had people say to me, I, if I had done what you did in that one particular moment, I'd be done. I would just hang it up and I'd go on vacation. I'm like, I, I don't know. It's like that, that drive isn't why I did it in the first place. And it's not why I would quit now. I, I constantly feel the need to prove myself. Maybe that's a, you know, that maybe that's on part two, right? Like, you know, let's, uh, let's break into the psychology of why we're, uh, you know, constantly in need of some kind of validation, but you know, right. that's, that's a whole, that's a whole nother day. It is, but I do, I, on that note, I think we, you and I have talked about this, and I think it's a really interesting idea because we've talked about legacy. And so you talk a lot about the thing that you will leave behind is your work, which I th- think one of the reasons that matters to you. Is that right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and not just the work, right? I think we think about, you know, people, people tend to, uh, thoughtful people tend to think about this in terms of their life in general, but yes, I mean, mm-hmm. term, to, for me, it's hopefully something that I create that will, that will stand the test of time. I hope. Yeah. Right. But I, I mean, I actually think that's, I think about that whenever I think about the, the work that you share, because that conversation was profound to me, that I, that idea, because I, I think part of it was having the sense that, one of my goals was to work on Wonder Woman. I did, right? That was a long time ago. Right, so right. if that, so I'm good with that, right? Like I, my, my legacies, I don't know what, I don't know what my legacy will be, but but, like, but, but, I, I, but you're still not satisfied. That's what's amazing to me about it. Right. But it's, it's not, it's not surprising. It's just that like, you know, you had the very clear vision. I didn't have the clear vision. I, I had the, I just want to do something that people will care about. You said, I want to do this. You did it. But also, maybe it's as much a testament to you as it is to Wonder Woman that it still fascinates you, right? That whole thing still fascinates you. The world around her still fascinates you, and what she had, what it says, right? To the world. Well, also, also when I this is one of those things about be careful what you wish for. So when I finally got the chance to do Wonder Woman, there was a lot of editorial interference, and so the first year as a very up and down reading experience because I had editorial hands in all the time. And so I think probably on some level, I had been wanting to make up for that for 20 years, right? Because most people look at it, like there was an article that came out recently. It was like, Phil Medicine's Wonder Woman run. It's like the unsung run of comedy. Like, I'm pleased that people look back on it much more fondly than they did when it, when it was coming out, right? Like, I mean, the, the criticism of that book was heavy and harsh mm-hmm. when that book came out. And some of it was valid and some of it was rooted in the editorial changes I was being forced to make um, and trying to navigate around. And I think, again, like, I'm happy for it. I'm glad I had that opportunity. But I think there's probably some still the sense of, uh, and I think Historia was this. Clean, cleaning up a mess for yourself or something or or, yes. uh, or or cementing your your contribution right 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 like that the kind of proof that if you leave me alone or if you give me the right kind of mentorship and guidance i will give you something amazing right, Stay right. and you do take criticism way. sometimes but no i've seen sometimes. i'm sure you do <laughs> i'm sure you, so, you no, do no, no, but no, 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 no. you're a listener you don't you're not always gonna uh, you're not always gonna agree 
from my experience. Right, but 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 so, but I think that's I think that was it was just sort of there was a ch- just a chunk of my career where there was a lot of cooks in the kitchen and the stuff that I look at and and most proud of is the stuff where there were very few. And again, my editors were mentors that nurtured me and pushed me, but didn't get in my way. And there's a lot of ego in that, but it was this sort of thing that's, I was just like, I do know if you just let me do this, I will, I will make you and your company something amazing. I will elevate your brands. I will be happy. You'll be happy. Like, just let me do this. And that's and that's the consistent part to me of what we're always looking for as creators, I think, of, of you know, industry up and down, this and that. But that if you have that one champion that says, I'm going to criticize you, but I'm yes. going to, to, to help you. I'm going to, I'm going to bolster what it is that you do. And I'm going to help elevate what you do. That's, that's all we need. Right. And it's a, it, it sounds like a small ask, but it's a, it's a rare thing to find. Um, and I thankfully found a really good home for my first books that was, you know, that allowed me to do me and the other, the other creators to obviously do what we wanted to do. So. And I have to say nostalgia is so beautiful. It's such a beautiful first. I I remember those first pages and then to see it in print, it is, it's a gorgeous work. Thanks. Yeah. Like I it's, got, a, it's a successful, it's so successful. <laughs> I got really lucky and it's, it, you know, it's, it's funny. Like, uh, Daniel Jajay, who who uh, who drew the art, I got so lucky in working with him and the rest of the collaborators, Lee Lurich, who did the colors. But like, also just the idea that I'm still on a digital run here, right? We have a physical to come. We have you know more books in the future, and I should say that's next week, at least as we tape. That wag my my second series is coming out next week, and that'll be a monthly. And so like these things have lives, right? They um, it's it you know I I don't know even know what nostalgia is going to feel like when that comes out in print, uh, assuming that that all goes as planned. So so you know it's it's a funny one, but it, it yeah it feels good and it's a it's a journey. I just wrote this on record because I've said it before. I think I said it at San Diego Comic Con, and I told you. But the thing, one of the things I loved so much about nostalgia was how in the first issue alone, I could tell from the first five, the, the, again, I use the word exponential with you because you get so, you get progressively better with everything you work on. Where you began and like this first couple of issues is like, okay, and how you ended the language uh, that you were using in the narrative transforms through the issue. And I can feel you evolving from page one to page 24. I forget how long they are, but in a really beautiful way, like it, because again, the first few pages, I'm like, okay, this is fine. And then I get into it and I am sucked into it uh, where, and I, and I find myself uh, sort of getting wrapped up in the lyricism of the language. And that was what's like, once I realized my reaction to it, I was thrilled because I knew that this was a, the right project for you, the right first project for you. And that you were really, really good at what, you were doing like that you knew thanks for someone that knew or also you're you're sensing maybe my discovery of that thing that i the part of it that i really like to do which is Mm -hmm. you know i'm maybe okay with dialogue i'm maybe okay with putting plot together i'm just kind of figuring those things out a little bit more but when i'm in a character's head that i get that's where it's like actually just fun i just it just kind of like flows and hopefully yeah other people that as well but yeah i just leaned it oh, lean into yeah. that i like it it's it's the part that that just feels like it's not work it's just really fun to be able to do that Agreed. So, um, and I just thank you working yeah. a working a um 
I guess I have to wrap it up. You know, we, we're we're going on and on and on. We could go forever. <laughs> we'll have to do part two. We'll have to do part two at some point. Maybe if they'll have us back. But um, anywhere's to hawk. I just hawked my new book, Wag, on Comicsology. By the way, uh, I'll tell everyone to go buy the Wonder Woman Historia uh, trade paperback yeah. in hardback because it's because my fellow artist Gene Ha and Nicholas Scott did really. I mean, I gave them an impossible task, which was to follow up the stuff that I did. And they did. It's beautiful. It's a really beautiful work. And Kelly Sue DeConnick wrote this incredible, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful work. And I, I feel like I'm talking about something that's been out of, again for a while, but I, I'm, I'm proud of it. And then this other thing, which I'm, I think will be, I think there's going to be clues to it announced probably by end of September. That's so exciting. So keep an eye out. Yeah, I'm very excited. So, uh, and I have uh, I have a bunch of scripts that um, are hopefully going to see the light of day and get made into books, and I'm working on that too. So, let's make more books. Let's do that. I'm very into this idea. Let's do that. Which means <laughs> that we're going to have to shut up and go back and make our book. Yeah, we got to do work. I want to say thank you to Scott and Phil for this wonderful episode. Scott Hoffman and Juan Mabio's Wag Number One is available now. And as always, thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, share it with a friend, and we'll see you next time on Dynamic Duos. Dynamic Duos.